0: He's winning. Happy New Year. Welcome back to The Call-Up, the first episode of 2024. I'm Aram Leighton, he's Jack McMullen, and we're going to start it off with the top second-base prospects in the sport. It's a position that, honestly, is, is pretty loaded, Jack, especially if you start to consider the players who could move off of short. But for the sake of this exercise, we are pretty much moving forward with either players who predominantly played second base last year or players that we feel it's pretty much almost a guarantee that they will not play shortstop because when you're ranking shortstop prospects, what's kind of baked into that is the probability of sticking it short. And of course that that's why the defensive side of things is so important. So it becomes a little bit convoluted there. So we wanted to stick straight to it guys that we really think are going to be second basemen, and, you know, haven't already or aren't still trying to fight to stick it short uh, but I know are, that can kind of become a little bit of a gray area.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are two kinds of second baseman, I think, in baseball, especially in minor league baseball. And it's guys that play second and third or guys that play second and short. And there's really no like true second baseman in minor league baseball. I don't even think we're going to talk about like one true, true second baseman.
0: What do you yeah, think? Is I think that there's fair? a couple- a couple but even when i think there are they end up playing other positions more and, and, I, and I think it makes a lot of sense right if you're a second baseman you're, you're probably agile it's, it's it's a question about the arm if you're if your range is a little bit short you might have a good arm you could probably still stick at third and and, and play a little bit there too so they want to try to encourage versatility right the worst case scenario is that you just end up stuck at second base so they're always trying to avoid that I, like an amador is still going to mix in some reps at shortstop a Juan a plays a little bit of shortstop plays a little bit of second so from that case like yeah you're you're probably right like thomas ajay who we're going to talk about plays all over i would say even like i don't want to give away the whole top 10 but yeah we'll we'll go through it like i'd say connor norby is probably the only guy who like mostly plays second but they started giving that guy reps and left which i love by the way but yeah it seems like nobody wants a guy to just be like stuck at second you could make the case for like a tamar who now really doesn't get reps at short anymore maybe he might be the most like true second baseman at this point because it really is all about the bad anyways
1: right it's all about the bad and i think about the guys that you know are the best of the position at the major league level too and when we talk about like hey top second baseman in major league baseball marcus Semien was a shortstop until he went to toronto and now he's one of the best second baseman in baseball Altuve was kind of a full-time second baseman from the jump But Albies played a a bit of shortstop in the minor leagues, too. Like these guys, they stand out offensively and it doesn't really matter where their home is. They just happen to play second base at a really high level. So second base, like, while it seems like not the sexiest position, you've got some serious stat accumulators and you've got some productive hitters like one through 10 on this list um and you know like there are 15 of them at the major league level where it's like you look at them and it's okay yeah you're an everyday second baseman i like
0: you as a player on my team i I love the way that position's heading too because it's just i I like the idea that you can go find some value with with guys that can swing it and OK, who cares if he's fast and can slap it around a little bit and play good defense? At second base, if if you can sneak out a little bit of slug, get some some well-rounded. You know, I, I think we see some of our best and most well-rounded prospects as guys that are you know, kind of pegged at second base or kind of stuck between that second and third designation. We're trying to figure out exactly where they play, you know, their, their defensive, I guess, the majority of their defensive games. That said, we're going to kind of start with a couple honorable mentions, guys that I think are. More in that utility type, and still trying to figure it out. I think people label Luis Angel Acuna as a second baseman. We're not, we're not considering him in this list because one, I think he's good enough defensively at shortstop to stick there and be be solid there, and two, he also gets reps in center field that I think are you know, you, you got to start to take a little bit seriously too. He might end up playing out there maybe second base is the long term home but i think it's selling him short to call him a second base prospect because i think he's a shortstop prospect who may be forced to play second base which i think is a little bit different uh ryan bliss that's a guy that is a second base prospect right he, he came up as a shortstop it just I think he can play there in a pinch, but it, the, the difference is he's truly a second baseman. Uh, Bliss, wonderful defensively at second base, won the defensive player of the year in the Arizona Fall League for good reason. And, and Bliss with the with the Mariners now, you know, he might have a path to the big leagues with them as, as soon as this year, uh, which is exciting. And it's going to be a, a question about the bat, right? We, we saw some power, but we don't know how much it's going to translate. The EVs are a little bit fringy. Uh, The hit tool is probably average, so we're we're waiting to see what it all looks like. But if he's speedy, he kind of is that throwback second baseman uh, that isn't a lot like some of the others that we're going to discuss here who are powerful hitters now which is pretty cool um some of the recently drafted players that we're going to talk about in the bowman draft segment like a colt emerson and some of those others like they're shortstops until proven otherwise and you know as long as the mariners are focusing on them as shortstops we're going to focus on them as shortstops as well for guys like that or not just the mariners any team uh, with a player in that position but any other honorable mentions before we we jump into the top 10 jack yeah, I think Jared Cerna was on that list, too, yes.
1: and Kiner Delgado and Xavier Edwards.
0: Yes. So Jared Cerna, he's been awesome, by the way. I talked about him in the Winter League catch-up. Great bat to ball guy. Again, more of that throwback. He's probably going to mostly play second base. He has played a little bit of short, though, um, but great bat to ball sneaky pop. I'm excited to see what he's going to do. And Kiner Delgado, switch hitter, speedy, sneaky impact, small, like, Very compact dude, but has put up really good numbers at the lower levels. Another Yankees guy that is worth following. And then Xavier Edwards, look, he's not a shortstop, in my opinion, defensively. um, But the Marlins may give him a shot regardless. He had a phenomenal year last year. I don't know how it's all going to translate to the big league level. But there was a stretch where, I mean, he was – the best contact hitter in the minor leagues. He was flirting with 400 through several months of the season. Uh, He might not hit more than one or two home runs a year, but if he plays great defense at second base, he steals some bags, which he's gotten better and more efficient at, and he puts the ball in play, uh, which we know he does. He could be a solid back end of the, uh, you know, back of the order, just spray the ball, scrappy type of player that has become less popular in our sport, but I think is coming back a little bit.
1: Was he under 10% with the K rate? Yeah, I think he was, mm-hmm. right? The A this is, year was 12% walk rate, 7% K rate. Yeah, like
0: that'll play. That's a really good nine hitter um, yeah. I, at second base. The, but and then that's the, the unique issue with the Marlins considering a rise is is there. I mean,
1: you think about like the appeal of Nick Madrigal when he was first coming up, like clearly that appeal is gone, unfortunately, because like there's no slug and there's not much of anything else either. Like it was not gold glove caliber second base. It was not, you know, like walk 12 percent of the time. It was just, oh, this guy makes contact every time. Like there's nothing else really going on. With Edwards, at least there's speed going on Mm -hmm. and there's some defensive ability going on. So Mm -hmm. it almost feels like he is an elevated version of Nick Magical or maybe what
0: people were hoping Nick Magical would Mm -hmm. be. Which would be a great scenario for the Marlins as they just look for middle infield depth going into 2024. Jumping into the top 10. And of course, as always, we are sharing this little window at the top right uh, for those that are on YouTube. And we'll start with... Thomas Ajayi. So Thomas Ajayi kind of plays all over, but it seems like the best defensive home for him is second base because he really isn't great defensively anywhere. Um, so I think from that lens, it's like, uh, I think he's probably best at second, but Ajayi coming over to the Cardinals in that Texas Rangers deal that involved Jordan Montgomery, of course. Um, and, 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 I, I think this was just such a good get for them. You know, TK Roby as well coming over, and and both are, are some of the better prospects in this Cardinal system, which we will be talking about in the coming weeks. Brewers, by the way, up this week, uh, and then we're going to be talking uh, Pirates, Cardinals, the rest of the, the NL Central as we move forward. But so Z man, like he got better as the year went on. We, we've talked about that nuclear stretch that he had where it was just like – it was like a, he hit for a cycle, and then he was hitting – about felt like two, three hits every single day, hitting for power, doing a little bit of everything. He's an aggressive hitter, really good field to hit though. And sneaky pop where, you know, I think he's able to circumvent some of the, the aggression by just being able to spray the ball over the field. And then the thing is, is most hitters that are aggressive and spray the ball over the field. Don't hit the ball that hard. So that's going to impact the BABIP. Imp. He hits the ball harder than most guys with his contact rates. So that side of it, I think helps him, you'll know, be a high BABIP guy consistently. And also, just his ability to go foul, pull to foul, pull. It just seems like he finds the gaps and finds the space. And I think that's why he's going to be an above average hitter uh, potentially at the at the highest level. Yeah. So
1: Jay-Z what like his numbers were video game ask and he was all MLB candidate this year with with texas and st louis he was in frisco for the majority of the year after the trade he went to springfield which is also in the texas league and that's where he went nuts and then he had 13 games with triple a memphis and he wasn't that good offensively with memphis but he played nine games at second he played two games at shortstop he played two games at third base feels like he's a second baseman having said that you take all of his games and you put them together This guy in 139 games, which seems like one of the higher totals that we've talked about on the call-up, like 139 games in the minor leagues in a given year. Holy hell. But he slashed 306, 374, 530 with 34 doubles, 26 homers, and 111 driven in. He was 12 for 14 in the stolen base department. I know it's like a larger sample than you get from most minor leaguers, and I know hitter-friendly environment, but... Come on, 335 doubles, 25 homers, 110 driven in, high efficiency base dealer like at the end of the day, it's you know it, it, they are the the metrics that truly count. but the counting numbers like holy hell, not many people can get
0: to those and, and I think he's a fantasy darling for that respect too. you know for those who listen that are always looking for their you know fantasy baseball angle, he's not gonna light it up in any specific category. But he's going to give you a little bit of something in every category because of the way he plays. He's another one of those hard-nosed, I think, get the most out of each of your, your skills and tools types of players. You, the opportunistic base ceiling, like I think that's going to translate at the highest level. And then the thing, too, is, again, the EVs are are average maybe slightly above – but he puts the ball in the air consistently, and it's a simple swing. It's it's really throwback, you know, no batting gloves. His feet are almost moving in the box a little bit where he's just so relaxed. He looks like he's up there playing wiffle ball, uh, but he's able to consistently drive the ball in the air. That results in a lot of doubles and more home runs than most guys. So I, I think Sejazi can be an, an above-average regular. And just another guy in the fold here uh, for the Cardinals is you just wonder, what are they going to do with all this upper-level infield depth? And are they going to finally, you know, make a little bit more aggressive of a move or are they comfortable going to Kyle Gibson in game three of a postseason series? We'll we'll find out. I think the latter uh,
1: time is also on Sejazi's side. He's 21 years old. He's the same age as Mason Wynn.
0: Very young for how high he is, you know, in the pecking order in terms of climbing up through the minor leagues, which says a lot as a fifth round pick, you know, in 2020. Number nine. Now, uh, you know, his, his former org mate, Justin Foskey checks in from the Texas Rangers, a first round pick in 2020. And Foskey, for me, it's just all about the hit tool. I mean, th- this is one of the best hit tools in the minor leagues. It's it's borderline plus plus. Uh, I think it's you could really make the case that it's a 70 hit. Um, the power, look, it's, it's not going to be a huge part of his game, but there's enough power there where you can look at. You can look at the hit tool and you can say, OK, there's going to be enough doubles sprinkled in and there's going to be you know enough home runs sprinkled in. Uh, yes, he's in the PCL and, and that's always going to bode well for, for power. But if you look at the, the numbers pretty much at every single stop, the guy's just been a doubles machine with enough home runs. What stands out to me, though, is, again, just the feel to hit, the ability to get to pitches in tough spots, uh, the really, really strong approach. And again, he tapped into more power this past year it, that the PCL doesn't make the EVs better. A 90th percentile exit velocity of 103.5 would put him right at big league average. If you're right at big league average with elite bats to ball skills, you're going to be a heck of a hitter at the big league level. Another player, I don't know where he fits in. I don't know if he gets traded, but he's a big league piece that I think is ready. I think he's ready to go. Yeah, so he nearly quintupled
1: his uh, stolen base output. He went from three bags in 22 to 14 bags in 23 you mentioned the slug was higher like the home run output was just higher um the run production was better he also walked 15 percent of the time compared to a 10 percent walk rate in 2022 while the k rate dropped so like while the wrc plus and i don't really know how that works i guess like round rock is more hitter friendly than frisco is but the wrc plus dropped by three points went from 116 to 113 still very consistent that can be, you know, like simple, hey, bad day, drops. dropsy three points in the WRC plus department. Like everything that he probably set out to work on, he succeeded in, which is cutting the K rate, elevating the walk rate, obviously hitting the ball more impactfully. And I mean, like swiping bags too. There, There's a ton of value here. And yep. I just, I wonder where the chance is going to come because Seeger's there forever. Semyon's there forever. Josh Young is there forever. Like, where's the space there's no space
0: and that's the thing and i think he's a great trade chip, and he's a little bit older now he's gonna be 25 like now's the time to cash in and, and, and there's really nothing else he needs to show right when you have a zone contact rate above 90 when you're hitting the ball harder than you ever have as you mentioned when your chase rate's lower than it's ever been at, at doing this while reaching higher levels this guy needs to, to get an opportunity at the big league level to, 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 to just see what he can do uh and see if it all translates the way i think it can um i i see a 70 on the on the hit which chart. probably between 60 and 70 I'd probably say present 60 just because I want to see how it translates but I mean there's there's a world where he, he has you know one of the higher batting average I know he didn't do it last year I don't know necessarily why I think there was a lot of bad batted ball luck to be honest because watching a lot of those games man like he's on everything uh he rarely takes a bad swing and that's in tandem, be, because of the chase rates and because of the field to hit, um, and just because of the pitch recognition skills, like it, I, I'll bet on that profile any day of the week, even if it's even if the upside's somewhat limited. Got gotcha. you. Number eight, another player that kind of fits in the bucket of where does he play defensively? Um, he's that kind of second baseman, and the Tigers have a couple of those. But Jace Young. I think ultimately ends up at second base, whereas, you know, Colt Keith, who we won't be talking about on this list, probably plays third. Um, and, and and I think there's there's defensive reasons why and we can get into that. But we're mostly here to talk about Jace Young's bat. I mean, he's a guy that is really interesting because it's an unorthodox swing. His bats like angled, you know, straight, almost pointing towards the top of the bats, like pointing towards, you know, behind home plate. Uh, His hands, the way he kind of holds the bat in his hands, it rests, interestingly. And I think it just makes it easy for him to get to his slot and and let the the bat enter the zone early and and stay through there. But it does kind of leave him, I think at times, being a little bit long through the zone where you can bust him inside. Uh, Sometimes the the path is a little bit in and out. Like what he's trying to do can almost work against him sometimes. And it, it just seems like it's almost too unorthodox where there's not enough adjustability there. But that said, you can't really say anything negative about what he did last year. If you combine the AFL, which was 147 games, he had 29 home runs. He had an eight fat 55 OPS. He walked 14% of the time and he only struck out 24% of the time. He's going to whiff, but he puts the ball in the air consistently, only a 35% ground ball rate. And there's, he's just got the track record, right? Similar to his brother. It's hard to deny the numbers that he has put up. Yeah. So do I'm curious, like,
1: why you feel like there's a question as to where he plays. Do you think it was the fall league that created those questions? Because he has yet to play a true minor league game anywhere but second base. So he's only yeah, played so second and he's DHing. But then
0: he yeah, played third in the fall league. Yeah, they they put him in third ex- almost exclusively in the AFL, um, o- only third in the AFL. And I just didn't like how it looked. So um, I don't know if they're going to keep trying that or not. But right. that's, I guess, the "quote unquote" question. I assume that it, the, the, the answer is second base. And if that's yeah. the case, you know, look, the defense is going to be below average or, or fringy. I don't think it's that bad. Like again, I've watched some of the video. Like his actions are fine. I, I, don't, I think the range is fine. Like it's, it's not that bad at second base. I think that's why they were hoping that maybe he could play a little third because the offensive profile could carry that. But at the end of the day, I just, I think second base probably makes the most sense. And he's gonna try to probably follow that Edouard Julian mold, right? Where there, I think there's better. I think there's better on base skills with Julian, obviously, because he walks with the best of them. But we yeah. started to see Josh Young really tick up in the walk department, and I think Josh Young's more athletic than Julian. He's again, I have more confidence in Julian's offense translating at the highest level consistently. But you know, that's not a bad mold that we're starting to see a lot more second baseman kind of follow, and I don't see why you know. J.C. Young can't be that type of player as well, because there is 25, 30 home run power with high OBP and uh, you know just, just enough bat to ball. Who cares about the defense? And I think it could be good enough. Yeah, he won
1: the uh, he won the minor league gold glove at second base. I would say take that with multiple grains of salt, not just one.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. The funny thing about that is. Um, I've never heard of a, a gold glover in a minor league position exclusively playing another position in the Arizona fall league, which is designed to go get more reps elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. But um, that does mean that he is fundamentally sound. He didn't make a ton of errors. So that is always good. Number seven, Michael Bush. <laughs> let's, let's keep this one short. We said it the same thing uh, when we were talking about the, the Dodgers top prospects a few episodes ago. So we don't need to talk about Michael Bush too much again. It's, it's kind of similar to the Jace Young situation. I think again, probably better defender than Jace Young. Uh, but also Michael Bush, I think, leans into what Jace Young is trying to be offensively a little bit more. But he's also had more time to do so. Um, very similar players, I think. Bush, I I believe in Bush's field to hit a little bit more, but I might believe in in Young's ability to to tap into game power a little bit more consistently. The more I've watched of Michael Bush, so it's an interesting comparison here. But overall, you know, I'm just going to side with with the slightly better bats of ball because it's all about the offense here. But very comparable players. Young being younger helps a lot. But at the end of the day, like I don't care about youth as much at this position uh, when we're talking about this profile at second base. Because a lot of those players like Edouard Julien and some of the others end up being older guys that blossom and succeed there. Uh, and, And I think Bush is just another victim of circumstance. He really hasn't had the opportunity to blossom and succeed.
1: And they were trying to push him into like a third base situation. And he played more third base than second base this past year when like in previous years, he was playing almost exclusively second base. And I, I guess they were trying to figure out an opening for him at the major league level, but like Muncie's going to be at third base the entire year. And it's not like you can shove Muncie to first base because you've got Freeman and it's not like you can shove Muncie to the DH spot because you have Otani now. Like the, he is, I, it just, it's starting to anger me how Big of a trade chip he is, and they're just con- continuously not moving him. Like him yeah. and Miguel Vargas. Like, do something for just for like those guys' sake. Like, yeah.
0: let them go play every day somewhere else. Uh, yeah, and and that's that's one hundred percent where I'm at with Bush, and, and and I just it might be one of those things where they really like Bush. You know, they like his offensive potential, and like he, d- no one's gonna put a huge value on him because I not say nobody, but he's not gonna be the headliner deal because. Look, he's he's limited. Uh, and, and I think he's a great piece in a deal. But in a glass now trade, like it's the last thing the Rays want at this at this point. Right. They've got Jonathan Aranda at home. So it, it, there's a lot of interesting scenarios there where it's maybe the, just the right opportunity hasn't lined up trade wise. But at this point, man, like especially when they're going to have another 40 man crunch eventually, you wonder if they do finally give him an opportunity to play elsewhere. Because, again, the underlying data is just fantastic. Even if you add in the big league games. Contact rate, zone contact rate at eighty five percent. He only chases at a twenty percent clip, and he hits the ball hard. So, like honestly, the offensive upside in terms of the hit tool, I think, gives him a little bit more of an edge over Jace Young because, I mean, eighty five percent zone contact between the big leagues and triple A's is really impressive. Where you know Jace Young, I think there's going to be a little bit more whiff um, and, and, and comparable ability to walk. And then and I think the big differentiator is going to be Michael Bush, slightly more raw power. Jace Young, slightly better ability to get into his power in games, who kind of gets the edge there in the power department. It should be fun to see. Cause I think those are two very similar types of players.
1: It also just feels like he is the price of a closer. Um, you know, maybe mm-hmm. he and one more is the price of a good closer. And you see the rumors that the Dodgers are in on Josh Hader. Like why not just go trade excess for another guy that you don't have to pay a hundred million dollars to like Correct. if you can, I think if you came to the guardians with, Hey, Michael Bush and one other piece for Emmanuel class, A, like they're just, they're totally entertaining that.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Even if it's two other solid pieces, go ahead. Or like the more ones, T- Tanner Scott, like you could probably Michael Bush and somebody could, could take care of a deal that makes plenty of sense, but you know, we'll see. We'll see what the Dodgers ultimately do. Another player who's, <laughs> it's kind of the theme of this this episode, right? Is another player that either has to play not second base to get an opportunity, or get moved. Is Connor Norby of the Orioles, and you know Joey Ortiz, obviously up the middle with him. And, and Norfolk, as they go for you know another championship, probably this coming year. Norby, look, it was almost a, a, an interesting season because I felt like I would check in. I think the first month into the season, he was struggling. And you know you just didn't hear much because there were so many good players in Norfolk. So you know through 20 games hit a 680 OPS, and like ah, oh, you know, I wonder I wonder what's going on there. And then he got really hot, but you didn't really get much fanfare there because you had Jackson Holiday reaching AAA, you had Basayo doing all the things he was doing at the other levels, you had Kerstad balling out uh, and double and triple A, you know you had Cowser balling out and eventually getting promoted. So I felt like what Norby did kind of got swept under the rug. But over his final 60 games, Norby slashed 306, 386, 533 a 920 OPS 11% walk rate 19% K rate 11 homers 30 extra base hits in those 60 games another guy man that yeah the EVs the EVs might be lower than anybody we've talked about so far they're they're below slightly below big league average but hits it the air consistently and taps into every bit of his raw power in games sub 40% ground ball rate and a very simple swing I love the no stride with two strikes, put the ball in play, spray it all over the yard, and it balances the tapping into game power and hitters counts and also being able to stay alive and keep the K rate low in, in you know, two-strike situations. Norby's just a really safe bat at second base, and I think they really like him because that's why he saw a lot of action in left field. The Orioles may believe in the bat so much that they want to keep him and, and you know, move him into the outfield and maybe move one of the other outfield bats.
1: He is, um, he's the number six second base prospect in baseball. Um, he might not be the number six prospect in the Orioles system. Like that, it's so bizarre. Uh, its yeah. It feels almost backwards. And like, you think about the guys that just graduated this year, Gunnar Henderson, Heston Kirstad, Jordan Westberg graduated this year. Couser still has some eligibility. So like, stop me when Norby slots in. Holiday. Kobe Mayo, Basayo, Kowser. I'll, I'll count Kurstad. How many plate appearances did Kurstad get? I don't know, but uh, well, you can count them. Kurstad. he had 30 ABs. All right, I'm going to count Kurstad. So Holiday, Basayo, Mayo, Couser, or Ortiz, Norby or Dylan Beavers? Norby. Okay, so we're still at seven here. And like names that I haven't mentioned are Chase McDermott, Judd Fabian, Seth Johnson, yeah, Enrique. Right
0: in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like he is the number seven prospect in his own system, but he's the number six at his position in all of baseball. That's not that's how right. things should work like that.
0: No. And that's where the O's are at. And that's why there he's playing left field, which is which is crazy. But final 25 games, also this including the postseason where they won it all. 340, 423, 623 slash line with six homers. Um, so again, just tapping into that game power is really impressive too. It's it's above average to the pull side. I am concerned about how that plays, you know, in, in Baltimore, considering that it's a death to pull side power for righties, especially when it's not, you know, light tower pop. So that is something that could adversely affect Norby, but he also is just very good about driving the ball to all fields. And so, you know, that'll just have to be something he leans into. So maybe it's more doubles than Homer's. That's fine. He hit 40 doubles last year so i mean like he's gonna be a big time doubles guy and and in that ballpark he might lead the league in doubles if it all works out also a a very solid defender at second base but might end up seeing him move to left field we're gonna get into the top five in a moment here also a quick bowman draft segment but before that a quick break All right, so before we get to Juan Brito of the Guardians, got to talk to you a little bit about Bowman draft. I have already broken some boxes, obviously. As you know, I I pulled my uh, my Wyatt Langford auto, but it's funny, I've been pretty successful targeting uh second baseman. Kind of leaning into the conversation that we we've been having. Like Norby was a guy that I really liked in 2022 uh Bowman draft or 21 Bowman draft and um I just feel like the second baseman get overlooked and we've talked about, you know, a player that we're going to get to in a moment Matt Shaw and why I think that is one of the better chases in 2023 Bowman draft with the Cubs, a guy that could hit 30 home runs and and hit for average. And for a major market team, it's like people are focused on some of the other guys. Like this is a dude that can really play Uh, Tommy Troy, another one in 23 Bowman draft. Like we we did our snake draft before. And like, that's another guy that plus hit, potentially above average power, great athlete. People overlook him because he's a second base, right? Everybody wants a shortstop. Everyone wants a like dynamic center fielder or, or the big time, you know, corner masher, but those guys could be all-stars. Those guys could, could be multi all-stars. So I think the second base position can get a little overlooked in Bowman in general. And then in Bowman draft here, there's a couple guys that are pretty much already kind of relegated to second base and, in, in Shaw and, um, and Troy, but then uh, plenty of guys that even if they make the move to second base I would absolutely love to have a bunch of cards of like if if I'm breaking Bowman draft, I'm holding a Colt Emerson, you know, of the Mariners, even if they told me he's moving to second base tomorrow, I don't care. Uh, Because again, I think that the defensive side of things is becoming a little bit less important. Teams will draft shortstops that they might not be sure are going to stick there because they believe in the bat. And, And I think Emerson can stick it short by the way, but just an example, if he gets bigger and heavier, like, and he can't, I still love collecting second baseman, and I think some of the cards that are available, headlined by Sean Troy, are a big reason why. Uh, I-, I think that's an underrated position in this product.
1: Yeah, and I think those two especially. It helps that they're going to be on teams that are going to be good for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like they are on. Young teams that are going to be playing a lot of nationally televised games are going to be in the postseason, and that does matter. I look at Ozzy Albies' baseball reference page, and I also just kind of look at the price point for his cards too. Albies is thirty homers every year; it's twenty five to thirty homers it seems, and he's always you know racking up the RBIs. And I know that you know there are card collectors that do love the counting numbers because at the end of the day, if you grab a guy that you know, like if you're looking for a prospect that has forty homer upside best case scenario is that guy is knocking on the door of the 400 500 home run club that's not albies at all but what albies is is an 800 ops guy that's going to rack up some counting stats he's made a couple of all-star teams and he's on one of the better teams in baseball and why can't shaw or troy fit that mold they can and guess what albies is kind of a hot ticket right now
0: yep no, and it's funny because he's so young and he's going to cumulatively just rack up stats that it's going to be one of those guys where if he keeps it going for 10 years, if you're a second baseman with 300, 350 home runs going in the latter half of your career or, or even the back third of your career, like that's not impossible for Albies. I don't know what he's at now, but he, he's could cumulatively rock. You know, start to pile up some some pretty good numbers so i i do think that it's an underrated position and when i look at a matt shaw like i know they're going to give him some opportunity at at shortstop and we're going to talk about that but i i just feel like the offensive ability at that position like you're going to forget that he's a second baseman one other name that's kind of underrated i think in the product is it's generally hard for a yankees product or yankees prospect to be underrated rock riggio you watched a decent amount of rock in in college right like did you get to see like At least some of him, because I thought it was interesting that it was the Yankees that end up pulling the trigger on him. And the Yankees do a pretty good job of identifying some of these underrated bats uh, that maybe don't get as much fanfare.
1: It's underrated, but like he was a fourth round pick after hitting 330 with 18 bombs in the Big 12. Like college numbers are crazy. And we've talked about the college producers. Um, He was in a good conference. He put up an OPS over 1100. It's clear that he's got juice. Second baseman with juice, just like collect them. And I don't think you're gonna be sad about it because they'll no. find a way into a lineup at some point.
0: That's what I'm saying. Like is it gonna be what you know what you retire off of? You say, Oh, I pulled the uh you know, the out of 10 auto of of this second baseman, like I'm um, you know, I'm set for life. Maybe not. But if, if you don't just instantly sell those second basemen um, that can really swing it and you hold on to some of those guys. They're going to be big leaguers, and you're going to be happy that you held on to them. And and especially in the fourth round, things like that, like Riggio, it's I'm looking at the swing now, man. He starts pre- stacked on his backside. Uh, it's super slow, easy, early load, and a smooth swing geared for lift. He's cut from that, and he doesn't chase the same Bush type of cloth. Like teams are getting good at identifying these types of players, and and I think they have a higher higher conversion rate than some of the other types of profiles. It's a higher conversion rate, um, but at the same time, you know. That conversion is still defensively limited. Got to hit a lot, all those things. So teams are still not willing to spend a, a first round pick unless the bat's really impactful. And Riggio's, you know, kind of limited physically, but he taps into the power. And I, I think it's just just a spot where you can find some some good players and some gems. And Riggio is is, is a player that yeah, if you're attacking some some higher names and you end up pulling him, like, I, don't be upset. Hold on to it uh, because people just neglect this position the Rockies kind of neglected this position at, at number five. And I know that they were able to get Nolan Jones. And and that was the big reason why they were okay trading Juan Brito uh, to the guardians. But, you know, I, look, they shouldn't have, I don't think either team should have really done the trade, to be honest. It's good for the Rockies now because you, you, he's one of their best power bats and he's going to be good for, for a while. But Juan Brito is one of our top 50, 60 prospects in baseball. And I do wonder if, if the Rockies could have pulled that trade off without parting with Juan Brito. Maybe not. Maybe that was the only reason why the Guardians were willing to part with Nolan Jones. And, and you know, what I'm saying is a waste of time. But Brito was a $60,000 IFA signing. The Guardians are good at identifying some of these guys, but they've also been, you know, on the other side of a deal like this and a couple deals like this. So, um, you know, I, I, I do wonder if they could have held on to him because the, the Rockies, I think, could you know, Juan Brito and, and Adele Amador and Tovar. And, like that would be just a ridiculous amount of talent in the middle infield because Brito's a plus hitter. It's from both sides of the plate too, man. And, and now we're into like the the gifts. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see, I mean, this swing, you, you hear that you've heard the terminology, like kind of like short to long, right? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't love that terminology because that kind of implies that you're, you're cutting your swing downwards um, to be direct to the ball. But if you think about it through the lens of like no wasted movement, bat enters the zone is, is efficiently as possible and then just stays really long through it he's a perfect example of that. Like this is a pitch. This is a fastball. It's a slower fastball, but it's a fastball that's up and out. And he gets not only to it, but he's still able to drive it in the air. And just look at the finish, man. It's like that, that loose one handed finish where you can just see that the path is so clean and efficient. And I just love, I love his swing from both sides. So he has this balance of being able to be quick to the ball but he's able to still kind of stay long enough through it to where he's able to generate some backspin and at least create gap-to-gap power. Plus hit, average pop, even if it's fringy, you know, pop in game. I think he's going to translate into a a really high floor piece in the middle infield for the Guardians.
1: Yeah, I think uh, this past year kind of shed light on how much the Guardians should probably regret that Andres Jimenez deal. And I know that Jimenez was coming off a hundred million or a platinum glove level season, but like a hundred million dollars for a guy in an organization that produces middle infielders like they're just out of a factory, like no problem. You're going to hit on one of them. And, you know, we've kind of been like begging for Brian Rocchio to get a, a shot at the major league level. He hasn't really gotten a true shot yet. He might get it this year at shortstop but you know th- there have been so many guys that have kind of taken that baton in the guardians organization is you know like the next middle infielder after francisco lindor and it's you know Rocchio, it's jose tena it was Angel martinez it was aaron bracho you're going to hit on like the fifth guy and the fifth guy was juan brito so you know maybe they're hoping that they didn't allocate a bunch of funds at second base cuz this guy he he played 5 games in triple a at the end of the 23 season it seems like he may just be ready to go hit at the
0: major league level midway through the 2024 season. I mean, dude, the underlying data is even better too. And it's funny because like I have a right-handed swing in here, and and he's better from the left side. But I just loved this this individual swing um, from the left side last year. Eight eighty-two OPS, uh, got on base at a four hundred clip. And what's crazy is, I mean, this is a guy that was twenty-one last year, playing at the upper levels. You mentioned reaching Triple A. And posting a zone contact rate at 88%, chasing at you know a, a low 20% clip. And another dude that, yes, it's not huge power. It's about the same EVs, actually slightly above, if you look at 90th percentile, uh, above Connor Norby, but hits the ball in the air consistently. Only a ground ball rate of 36%. So that's how you get 15 homers and 32 doubles. Uh, it's a perfect balance here in terms of hitting line drives, leaning into just enough power and hitting the ball in the air. Uh, But also still, you know, allowing yourself to hit for average, which I think he did maybe compromise a little bit of the batting average uh, to to try to tap into a little bit more juice, but as he should, because, you know, he can always be a little bit more level and 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 focus on just spraying the ball all over when he gets to the highest level. I think this now is the time to see how much you can leverage your power uh, when you're not in fight or flight mode at the big league level. Brito to me is is better than Rokio bat wise. Of course, the fact that Rokio can play shortstop at a high level really helps. But when it is all about the bat, I think Brito's as exciting of a, of a bat as they have in the system. With you know the ability to hit from both sides, enough power, uh, uh, the great field to hit, the ability to walk. I mean, to strike out sixteen percent of the time between double and and, and a few games in triple last year, dude is is pretty remarkable from a twenty one year old.
1: Did you already sell your stock on John Kinsy Noel? What's the word there?
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Howard. Okay. I have some cards still. I have some cards. I will always hold on. Dude, he walks up to as long as he walks up to 50 cent and hits balls, 118 miles an hour. I will have some cards. Just, just I saw him. Uh, there's no shot that you have access to light data. But
1: his first game in the Dominican Winter League, he hit a ball that I could have sworn was 125 miles an hour off the bat. Like it was <laughs> oh, when you were when you were there in person. Yeah, like vapor trail.
0: It's crazy. He's only twenty twenty two. 22. Last year was his age 21 season. Yeah. Like, that's crazy to me. It it, it feels like he's so much older than that. But yeah, I mean, the guy can really, really hit balls hard. Number four, Jet Williams. This is an interesting one because Jet could play center field. I think there's a very real scenario where we ultimately see him move to center field. Um, They are still mixing him in at shortstop. So this this is probably the one example of us contradicting what we said in the open. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I'm sorry, I just don't see any chance that they keep him at shortstop. Th- th- this will be my one, uh, my one mulligan, I guess, on what I was saying before because he has predominantly played shortstop. But I've seen the reps there. I look, he's he's serviceable. I think he can get by. But g- given the situation organizationally, I think he's he's not even better defensively than Luis Angel. So he's already behind him. He's not better defensively at shortstop than Ronnie Mauricio, so he's behind him. And then they're all behind Francisco Lindor and his decade contract. So, I, I in this instance, again, I'm going to be a hypocrite. Jet Williams is at second base. I'm sorry. Um, I love him as a second baseman too, man. Like this is the most patient hitter, uh, arguably. I think at the lower levels last year, and then reaching double and 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 looking good there. Good field to hit and another it's it's amazing the trend of these guys another low ground ball rate high line drive fly ball rate guy that squeezes out every bit of his slightly below average to average exit velocities 872 OPS across every level chasing at a 12% clip such a simple and efficient swing always on time pull side pop is sneaky but can still go to all fields and he absolutely motors i mean he's a menace on the base paths um I I can't wait to see what this, like he's become one of my favorite prospects. When we like one of the biggest oversights inside the top 100 and then just digging into him further and further and further. He's just so fun, man. It's like everything I love about John birdie on the Marlins. But if you could just like level everything up, <laughs> like that's, that's what I love
1: about a jet Williams. Yeah. So by my tally, like walks are the name of the game with him. Um, there were, let's see, 11 guys, uh, that walked a hundred or more times across any level. Three in the major leagues were Juan Soto, Kyle Schwarber, Matt Olson. Um, This guy, Terrell Tatum, Terrell Tatum with the White Sox walked Mm a hundred times. So did Austin Gauthier with the Dodgers. He walked a hundred times. Then you've got Tamar Johnson, Jackson holiday, uh, Jose Castillo, who's low a with the pirates, Harry Ford, Justin Henry Malloy, and jet Williams. Notice pretty much every single one of those guys has serious intrigue and the three guys in the major league level are the three most or three of the most feared sluggers in major league baseball in minor league baseball those are guys that like are so comfortable with who they are as prospects Yep, and like the fact that tamar johnson and jet williams are both on that list is ridiculous and it helps that they are at the lower levels and You know, like Tatum, he might have benefited from the tack balls in the Southern League and and Castillo, he might have benefited from, you know, just guys that couldn't find the strike zone to save their life in low A. But Williams, he's getting everybody's best effort because he was a first round pick, because he's a top 100 prospect. Same with Tamar. And the fact that, you know, they were able to massage 100 walks this past year is incredible. And also swipe 45 bags on 52 tries. Yeah. So like you're getting on base. What are you going to do with that? And the answer yeah. was a
0: lot. And a lot of those other guys aren't like that, you know, with nope. the speed. So and, and nobody wants Jet Williams on base. And you you set me up perfectly here because I think you make a bunch bunch of excellent points. And and one of the things that kind of like kind of leads me into a larger point is I think swing decisions and I cha- specifically chase rate in general. Like we've conflated swing decisions and chase rate. And there, if you have a Venn diagram, it, it's overlapping significantly. But just because you're patient doesn't mean you make good swing decisions. Just because you make good swing decisions doesn't always mean you're patient. Again, there's there's an overlap in the Venn diagram. But I do think when you look at a low chase rate generally. There's two types. There's the Emmanuel Rodriguez. I'm overly selective, which you know, look it's always easier to scale it back up. It's not a big deal, but it's not something that I'm gonna say. Oh, that's that's a an asset at this point. Right. It, it has become an asset form. But then there's the Jet Williams version, which is you know I still swing. You know a, a fair amount of pitches that I want to swing at, um, and I really have, I, I think a guy like him makes good swing decisions because their moves in the box are simple. They see the ball early, and as a result. They have a plan that they can execute a little bit better, right? Players that are swinging at balls in the dirt. It's not because they're saying I'm swinging, I'm swinging, I'm swinging. It's because they're not in a spot where they can see the ball, pick it up and make a decision, you know, whether they want to swing at it or not. If you have a longer swing, you have to start your swing earlier. If you have to start your swing earlier, you have to decide earlier. If you have to decide earlier, you're going to chase more. So it can be things from efficiency in your swing mechanics that impact chase rate in overall swing decisions, Or it could just be your commitment to your your approach. It could be just having phenomenal eyesight and being able to, you know, just pick things up from pitchers. But regardless, I think it's kind of a combination of all of those things. And Jet Williams is a perfect example of that, right? He simple swing, simple moves, a little bit of a leg kick, starts it early, sees the ball early. And I think that allows him to be very confident in his ability to make late decisions. And if you make later decisions, you're more likely to be right. Uh, because you have more time to process what kind of pitch it is and and more time for the ball to tell you what it's doing. And I, I think Jet Williams is an example of that. So even if the power is fringy, I think the the hit tool could be above average to, to even potentially plus, And there will be enough in there with the approach to, to, I think, keep the OPS over 800 when it all comes together. Sweet. Number three, Matt Shaw. Another player who got some reps at short, but you know, I just don't see it happening with the Chicago Cubs and, and played plenty of second base as well and, and has and, and is expected to. It, again, all about the bat with Shaw and, and a Bowman draft guy that, again, I will I will just collect in droves. I'm Every time I pull a Matt Shaw out of the, one of those packs, I'm just putting it to the side and um, you know maybe even getting ready to grade it eventually. The blend of – and we just talked about him in the Cubs system, but the blend of power, hit, and speed – is really, really fun. Usually that blend results in a little bit more value defensively, but it doesn't really matter, right? You're getting above average speed. You're getting potentially plus hit and you're getting potentially plus power. The one thing is he's aggressive and I'm okay with that because he makes a lot of contact and he hits the ball hard. But I think that aggression compromises the power a little bit. Right. When you have the ability to pick your spots, Uh, we talked about some of the other guys with the lower EVs. Like, Oh, this is a spot where I'm going to look for something middle in that I can lift. It's harder to do that when you're swinging frequently. And oh, shoot, I swung at a sinker, you know, tailing away from me. And there's no way I can hit that ball out. Those are the things that I think are holding Matt Shaw back a little bit from the 25 homer potential that he has. But again, certain guys like that's the only way they know how to hit. And if he starts to to cut down the swing rate it could take away from his ability to hit for average which he has just consistently done
1: yeah um matt shaw in double a uh high a he played like majority shortstop he played two games at second he dh'd a couple of times when he got to double a was three starts at short three starts at third eight starts at second base so mm-hmm. i think it's clear like once you kind of run into some traffic, like he's the first one to move off of shortstop, Um, you know, when he's the best middle infielder there, you know, play short, whatever, but like, I don't think that there's a path at least in the next seven years where he's the best middle infielder on the Chicago Cubs. Cause you've got Dansby Swanson on, you know, six more years of, of contractual obligation to the Cubs. And then Nico Horner is a way better shortstop than, than he is. So, You know, like he is a second baseman moving forward. I think you make some really interesting points when it comes to being okay with traces of free swinger in there because, like, patience, I, my, at least the default that I'm guilty of is if a guy's patient, I just view that as good. Mm -hmm. And if a guy is free swinger, I'm like, okay, that's just not sustainable. And there are and, guys who are like, it is just, it is sustainable if you're good enough. And he feels like a guy that like, yeah, it would be great if he made the change. But if he doesn't, like, he might just be good enough to do it. And it's not egregious to the point exactly. where like, we're looking at 30 year old Javier Baez. And it's like, Correct. dude, you Correct. never
0: figured this out. I, I call it like the buffer zone, right? Like yeah. if you excel at other things, you can be in and you're, you, and you're in the buffer zone of chase rate. Like, so he's a 31% chase rate in, in his, you know, 40 plus uh, professional games. If you're elite bat to ball wise, that's fine. You're still in that buffer zone where, like, I'm I'm okay with that. If he's chasing forty percent, you know, then I'm saying I don't know if that's going to translate. Right, pitchers will be able to start to exploit that. But he's still in that gray area where it's it's probably fine, especially when your swinging strike rate is seven point five percent and you hit the ball as hard as you do uh, as Matt Shaw does. So, yeah, maybe as he gets a little bit older, he cuts that chase rate down by five percent, and all of a what sudden he's walking more. Thirty-one percent.
1: 31. Okay. I mean, like so, Bryce Harper, for example, is like 37%. Chase that's out. what I'm
0: saying. So like, it, it, again, when you have a special ability to to hit and, and Harper's buffer zone grows even bigger because he's, you know, a generational right. talent, but generally my buffer zone on the chase rate is like, I can pallet it. And this is just based on like the sorting I've done, like just being able to like go through a historical data of prospects and, and all of that stuff. Like, Generally, once you get over thirty-five percent, it gets pretty hard. You got to really excel at some other things. Shaw is is at thirty-one percent. Excels bat-to-ball wise. Excels with the EVs. You can pallet it, um, and, and I think that's why he's going to be a really good player. And also, if he puts the ball on the ground a little bit more, he's going to leg out some singles too. Like he can, you can motor. But a guy like him, I'd love to see that ground ball rate come down a little bit because it was flirting with fifty percent, you know, in that in that pro debut.
1: I got some good notes for you. Chase rate guy, notable guys at the major league level with a 30%, 31% chase rate this past year. Um, Austin Riley, Jose Ramirez, Kike Hernandez, Tommy Edmund, Jake Cronenworth, Francisco Lindor, Corbin Carroll, Lane Thomas, Matt Vierling, Zach McKinstry. It's a good list. It's
0: a good list. You got to hit. And, and they're I think, good hitters. I think really like we, don't, hit.
1: we don't look at any of those guys and say you chase too much.
0: No, not really. So uh, I love it. Number two, total opposite now. Um, and pretty much everything other than we've talked about, just like the, for Tamar Johnson of the Pirates, just the adaptation of the perspective of him. Um, it was supposed to be the hit tool over everything, right? Oh, this is a 70 hitter. One of the best high school hit tools we've ever seen. And we'll see where the power is. We've talked about how it's now, this might be plus plus almost plus, plus juice, but there's some whiff, man. Like there's a fair amount of whiff hedges that with an extremely patient approach. Him and jet Williams were what the only teenagers since 2005 or whatever it was to, to walk a hundred times in a minor league season. Like that's why I love this guy. Like he's going to strike out. I I think he's going to get better and cut down on the whiff. Remember he was 18 last year. He's 19 and a half right now. Like, That's crazy. And to have the power that he has, I mean, he's already posted exit velocities of 112. He's already produced, you know, at several stops as one of the younger players at those stops. He already walks, I think, with some of the best of them. And and this isn't the passiveness. Like, I do think he makes good swing decisions. I just genuinely think that his swing is so violent and high effort that he's just going to whiff a lot. And like again, you can you can palette that, I guess. I think there's gonna be a world where Tamar reins it in a little bit. And, you know, again, he could be a guy with with two strikes. We've seen Bryce Harper's evolution, right? Where it, he used to really move and let it eat. And now we've seen him tone it down a little bit and with two strikes tone it down even further. I, I do wonder if if there's a world where Tamar, you know, the, the extreme barrel tip, that downhill, you know, kind of tilt that he has, which I get it, dude. That creates some really good angles on on the backwards move. You know, once you start to to, to uncork that barrel, um, it it creates really good angles and you can really rotate and and be really explosive. I get that. And that's why he hits some pull side mammoth bombs. But it also is really hard to sync all that up. And it's also very hard to adjust from a very barrel tipped kind of contorted position. You are uncorking and then to try to adjust the barrel, it can be hard. So being able to hedge that with a a good approach that he sticks to helps and attacking the pitches that he can hit really hard to his pull side helps. But I do wonder if there's a world where it's a little bit quieter, it's a little bit smoother, and he just leverages his ridiculous, unteachable bat speed to do most of the damage. Because how many swings have we seen? And I'm not comparing him to Bryce Harper, but how many swings have we seen from Bryce Harper where it's like he looks like he barely swung there and he just shoots a ball out the other way? Like, I do think Tamar has that kind of pop. Um, yeah, maybe not total Bryce Harper pop, but he can still hit it over the wall the other way, just throwing his hands at a ball. Um, but again, it's a guy you don't want to have him get away from who he is, but you do want to see something better than 73% contact in the zone.
1: Yeah, so like soft swing, I, and I don't want to call it like soft swing, but Harper, without getting his A swing off, can can put some baseballs out, and you think Tamar can do that too. But how many other five eight baseball players have we seen like in – in baseball history that can put up some of the gaudy like evs that he can do you have any of the evs in front of you like i okay, see a max so, of 112
0: yes so for those watching on on youtube this swing that i have posted right here that is the 112 a fastball down and away that you hit straight away center field. And 5'8", 175, 5'8",
1: 180 should not be able to produce 112 miles an hour.
0: And he's going to be able to produce more. Like, he's going to get stronger. Like, I don't think there's that much room for projection, but he's just naturally going to just going to be stronger. I think, and I love that you said a swing, because I feel like he has one swing right now. Yeah. And, you know, again, if you have one swing, but you hit 35 bombs, who cares? Just do it. I think he has the ability to hit a little bit more. And I don't know if he's giving himself a chance to with how much he's trying to let it eat in there. I mean, it is a big barrel tip. It is a big leg kick and it's a lot to sync up, but when he gets his pitch, he doesn't miss it. So, you know, it's it's kind of the question of like, do you want to be a mistake hitter who draws walks and hits a lot of bombs? Or do you want to be a guy that can maybe hit for a little bit more average? I'm so fascinated by his development. The reason why he's the number two second base prospect in the sport is one, I think he could be a very solid defender at second base, two. I think that either way, he's extremely valuable. If it's closer to the Max Muncy profile, extremely valuable. If he hits even close to an average clip, then he's one of the best second basemen in the sport. Um, so, I, I like I like the range of outcomes. Um, even you know, I just feel like the floor is it's a rare higher floor for a guy that whiffs as much as he does because yeah. of the power, because of the makeup, because of the approach. And I mean, dude, just look at the swing. I mean, in terms of path, it, you can't really teach that. I would just love to see a little bit of uh, adjustability baked into it. How much money do you think Dan Agla made in his career? <laughs> I know. Uh, well, he got that's actually a great comp at the, like the lower end. Uh, he probably made almost 100 million dollars. He made
1: 75 mil over the course yeah. of his career.
0: The Braves gave him like 60 M's. Right. It's taken away from the Marlins. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, I mean, Dan Ugla was good. And, and he's got a better approach than Dan by a lot.
1: Yeah. Like I, I don't and and comparable like power numbers, like the, the best power years that Ugla had at any point were let's see, 36 homers. I see. He had wow, this guy had six straight seasons of 30 or more homers. Five straight 31, 32, 31, 33, 36.
0: There's a world where Tamar does that. Absolutely. And t- remember, Tamar, more athletic, better defender. Um, and a lefty bat uh, it's i it, it, fell off quick too which is which is the disappointing part he was one of my favorite Marlins coming up man I didn't I was not expecting you to present me down memory lane was he R- first five draft pick? if I'm not mistaken too I don't I don't think he gets enough love as a rule five steal by, by the Marlins there from Arizona if I'm not mistaken um, Ugla but was yep 2005 rule five draft pick this does, does not get enough credit man first year out of the rule five in that Graveyard, twenty-seven bombs, hundred or one hundred five runs scored, ninety driven in, only struck out eighteen percent of the time. But yeah, you look at the career numbers, man. Like twenty-four percent K rate back then, that was high, right? That's ten years ago. That's equivalent to thirty percent now. So you look at it from that lens, like that seems like a very attainable, like almost median outcome for Tamar. And people might be like, oh, like what? how often do we get shit for like being way too high and, and lofty on prospects, a median outcome for Tamar being somewhere around a 23 F war for his career. Like it's probably higher than median outcome
1: to be honest. And tomorrow's going to sleep like a baby with $75 yes. million
0: dollars in his pocket. And, well, and also remember that's that, today. He, now today, then I'll go today is making 150 M's. So right. yeah, I, I think that's a really good comp on the safe side. And then yeah. the upside is what makes him the number two prospect at the position. Right. Number one. I mean, it doesn't get better than this, right? This is a guy that kind of blends everything that we've talked about with several different guys. Plus, plus hit enough power switch hitter, good defense. And second base, decent runner. Adel Amador, Colorado Rockies have a gem here. And he will be my pick for rookie of the year. The second he gets enough chance, enough opportunity to play. Hopefully he doesn't get called up too late this year where he qualifies. Um, but you know, but doesn't, you know qualify for the award basically I'm hoping that he almost spends the whole year In the minor leagues this year Or they fast track him uh, But regardless like I, I cannot wait to see What this guy does at course It's one of the best hit tools I, I, I've said it on here the best hit tool In the minor leagues in my opinion um, and, and I just think the way that he's able To blend some impact there He's still very young It's hard to deny the numbers The numbers were a little bit worse As he dealt with injuries and a, and a hand issue And whatever He's going to be healthy this coming year dude And I think he's going to go nuclear I think he's going to be one of the best prospects in the sport, period, uh, by midseason. Not many people should be
1: getting to that pitch. If you're watching on YouTube, this is him like turning around a letter high fastball. Like nobody should be able to touch that with that clean of a of a swing
0: like that. It's is, ridiculous.
1: It's beautiful. And his hands are special um he's playing more ball in the puerto rican winter league right now he's on the youngest team in that league he's one of the youngest guys on that team in that league um best case scenario is probably he splits the year between double and triple a and then he breaks camp with them in 2025 and he's the favorite for rookie of the year because he can he can hit 320 as a 21 year old at coors field can he not like again dreaming like best case scenario is you know perennial batting title contender um, yep. And one of the best hitter, one of the best hit tools in all of baseball. But you take that guy, you put him in that ballpark with that outfield, with those dimensions, and with that outfield positioning, with how deep those guys play. I mean, three. I'm not going to say 300 feels like a shoe in, but like 280 it, feels like a shoe-in.
0: It does though, and, and the EVs help a ton too, right? Because again, yeah. that's a, always an, an underestimated part of it. Is like Arias has to be perfect because those flares they gotta they gotta find the right spot. Uh, right. his EVs are, are lower than a guy like Amador. Uh, that's the thing, too, is most players with – and, of course, the bat to ball has got to translate at the big league level. We talked about that with Jung-Hoo Lee, right, where we're seeing off-the-chart contact rates. Okay, but are the contact rates going to take a 5% hit, 6%? We don't know at the big league level, and it's kind of case by case. But when your contact rates are within shouting distance of some of the best in the sport and you hit the ball harder than them, yeah. you can make up that ground. So yeah. I, I'm interested because I think he could be another – type of candidate that leads the league in doubles hits enough home runs. And if you hitting, you know, high 200s, low 300s, all of a sudden, I mean, you, you've got one of the best hitters in the game. Like I, I think that's possible here. Uh, and, and it's going to be a question of how much impacts there. But again, with, with already being able to hit the ball hard enough and that field to hit in the space that you alluded to in a course, he could hit 40, 45, however many doubles and, if he doesn't hit that many homers, doubles and triples will always play, and that'll in the slug will be over 400. I think without much problem, and I believe in the hit tool very much. So, and I think the approach is 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 solid enough as well. So, I, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what it looks like fully healthy this coming year. Hartford and then Albuquerque will be a joke for him. Uh, I, I do think with a good start, he'll be a guy that could easily be one of the top five prospects in baseball for us if he's healthy and, and looks good out of the gate.
1: Buy your Rocky stock. Now I'm, I'm already in like, if the Rockies aren't good in four years, I'm broke. And I'm sure you are too.
0: <laughs> I've got all my stock in the Rockies. I'm ready to go. Um, I hope they finally turn the page and, you know, play, play some of these youngsters and Amador being one of them relatively soon. And less Brendan Rogers, Ryan McMahon, Charlie Blackman, and, and that stuff. But hopefully we'll get there soon. Uh, Amador will be a big part of that. And we will be talking Milwaukee Brewers prospects later this week I have become very enamored by this farm system. So I am enjoying breaking this all down. And I think it's going to be a really fun episode for us. I think the Brewers are sneakily one of the deeper systems in the sport. And I'm excited to explain all that uh, later this week. It'll be fun for us there. And then hopefully we'll follow that up with an Eric Brown Jr. interview uh, right after that to try to keep the theme going when we can of prospect interviews when we talk about said farm system. That'll do it. For this episode, link is in the episode description if you want to go check it out. Of course, um, if if you do anything Tops related, if you interact with them, let them know that we sent you over here at the call up. I don't even know if there's a way to do that, but if you can, thanks. Uh, and as always, thank you for listening. We'll talk prospects with you later this week.